I work with a ministry called Watchman Fellowship, president of that organization, and uh, what we are is an apologetics ministry, meaning we help defend the faith, and we, have, we try to have answers for the reason of hope that is in us, and the particular area of expertise of our ministry, our focus is on interfaith evangelism. In other words, how can we share the gospel in an effective way with people of other faiths, other religions? Uh, so we deal in all kinds of areas, how to reach out to Jehovah's Witnesses, to Muslims. I just recently did a two-hour debate with Khalil Meek, the president of the Muslim Legal Fund of America, on the question, uh, Jesus Christ, prophet of Allah, or savior of the world. Uh, we do outreach in the area of, uh, of the occult, Wicca, Church of Scientology. Uh, we also do um, uh, in the area of Mormonism. In fact, I and myself, before I was a Christian, I was a fourth-generation Mormon. I'd love to come back and share that story with you sometime from Mormonism to Christianity. But my topic this morning is the, the issue of atheism. And the title of my message is, the question, is there a God uh, speaking the truth in love to atheists, agnostics, and skeptics? So let me get a feel for Bristol. How many of you know someone, you know somebody right now, you could give me their name, who self-identifies as either an atheist, an agnostic, or a skeptic? They say, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic. Well, a lot of us do. I think I got the rest of you on this one. How many of you know somebody that they don't say they're an atheist, but they live their lives as if they're, as if they're absolutely certain there is no God? How many of you know, okay, we've, we're all, we've all got somebody in this category then. So it, it's, it's surprising that atheism, while it was waning for many, many years, in the last maybe 20, 25 years, has been really kind of exploding. In fact, uh, Pew Research Center uh, recently did a, a study in which they determined that atheism has, has roughly doubled in the last seven years. Uh, they now say that over 7% of Americans uh, either identify as atheist or agnostic, 7%. And so uh, it, it's amazing how this, uh, how this works. I have an outline for our message this morning. It's in your bulletin. On the back of the outline, I just want to say one of the most important things that we do at our ministry at Watchman is to help you have the tools and, res and resources you need to be able to understand and reach people of other faiths. And um, we have a free subscription available to our profiles, bi-monthly profiles. There's a book back in the back corner of the, of the uh, auditorium, a book that I've written, several DVDs. Uh, just to give you a feel as a resource on this area of atheism, I'd just like to show you a little clip, preview, of our DVD entitled uh, The Atheist Delusion. Let's watch this uh, video. That religion is just absolutely uncalled for. We're, we are just mere things floating on a rock in space. Believing in God makes no sense. It, it's, to, to me, it's the dumbest thing. We are not only figuratively, but literally stardust. Are you an atheist? I am. So you're an atheist? Yes. Yes, I am. I need to know what to believe in. Like what happens when you die? Yes, I don't want to be a bag of dust. Did you know that 54 million people die every year? People just like you and me who love life. If you were shown evidence, you would change your mind because you're open. Absolutely. I think I am open to evidence. It just would have to be extraordinarily compelling, like out of this world compelling. Has this made you think today? It definitely has. I'll definitely consider this eye-opening. Wow. I hope I get enough guts to get myself out of this stinking plan. You gonna kill yourself? I'd like to. 
Can you see what you're doing? Yeah. I'm lying to myself. There is a huge issue that we have a challenge, really, that every believer, every follower of Christ has is this whole area of what about these atheists and agnostics and, and how can we share the gospel with them? Now, part of the revival of atheism comes from a, a movement of the last 15 or 20 years called the New Atheists. And it's a combination of best-selling authors, it's um, uh, 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 philosophy professors, historians, celebrities, even scientists in this area, people like Richard Dawkins, uh, maybe the most notorious atheist today who wrote the book, The God Delusion. Uh, people like Sam Harris, who wrote The End of Faith. Um, celebrities like Stephen Fry. You may notice him from uh, the, uh, the Fox tr- uh, crime drama Bones. But he's an actor, a celebrity, uh, an activist, uh, well-known atheist uh, spokesman. And in the area of science, you have people like Stephen Hawking, uh, who... Uh, uh, um, written a number of books. He's an English theoretical physicist, cosmologist. Uh, you, some of you saw the movie, maybe, about his um, Hawking, about his life story. Uh, so the ideas these guys are bringing to us, the, these people, these new atheists, are not really new ideas. The difference is they're very popular. So these things that used to be discussed only in the philosophy class at the university, hey, now it's at the Starbucks, at the coffee shop, it's at the workplace, at the water cooler. It's in, listen, it's in the high school campuses. People are talking about these arguments because these, they're popular. They have best-selling books, blogs, YouTube channels, and it's become uh, uh, very, very popular. How do we address, how do we understand? What I want to do this morning is talk about what does the Bible say about atheism? Now, I know you're thinking, well, James, the Bible says there is a God. Atheist says there's not a God. This is going to be a very short sermon. Not as short as you would like, probably. <laughs> I want to get a, dig a little bit deeper into, okay, what is the Bible, how does it address the phenomena, what's really going on in the heart and the minds of our atheist neighbors? Uh, look at Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes to the believers living in the city of Rome, and he says in Romans 1:16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, you say, but, the, but the James, that's the whole issue. Yes, it's the power of God, but notice, it's to those who believe. What about those who don't believe? Verse 17 says, For in it, in, in the gospel, the good news uh, of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 1, uh, God's word is making a case here. The Apostle Paul, through the scriptures, is basically making the case that God is revealing himself. He's not hiding. He's not making it impossible to know he's there. He is in the process of revealing himself. So if you look at your outline, if you're taking notes, number one in your outline, God is revealed. Romans 1 says God's not hiding. God is revealed. And notice it said in verse 17 to everyone. It talks about to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Uh, to the religious, to the non-religious, to everyone, verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Now, now notice this, not only is the existence of God being revealed, but also the wrath of God, verse 18 says, is actually being revealed. Now, God is wrathful, God is angry because he's angry at sin. And the reason why is that God loves people. And sin destroys people. 
So God is, is, is um, revealing his anger, his, his uh, wrath against the sin that, that destroys people. For his wrath, the wrath of God is revealed, verse 18, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, look, look at this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So now we're beginning to see what's really happening. Uh, the Bible's making the case that God is very openly revealing himself, his existence. Even his anger against sin is being revealed. But the problem is, our tendency is to suppress that truth. Now, here I'm not just talking about our atheist friends to do this. I find myself doing the same thing. When God's trying to reveal something to me, an area of my life perhaps, that is not under the lordship of Jesus Christ, or God's trying to call me and move me into a new area that, that quite frankly, I'm not comfortable with. My first response is to say, oh, yes, God, that sounds great. I'll do that right away. No, I, I find myself procrastinating, stalling, uh, redirecting. I, I, even myself as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have a tendency to suppress that. And so I think it's a human condition because all of us have sinned, that all of us, I'm not surprised that my atheist friends do this because I see it in my own life sometimes, a tendency to suppress. I wanted to test this theory. Do we really suppress this knowledge that we already have about God? And for the last about three years, I've been uh, about twice a month meeting with a local atheist, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex atheist. They invited me to come, and they, one of them came and heard one of my messages, and they, they were very welcoming, and so I've been meeting with them. And uh, in fact, they made me an honorary member of the atheist, Metroplex atheist. I don't know. They gave me a membership card. I don't know what to make of it, but uh, at least it's an honorary member. So, uh, but, but the bottom line is uh, they've invited me, and so, uh, and we've talked about all kinds of things, everything about from cosmology to the, the problem of evil to um, intelligent design. We've had all, we've talked about every, the Dallas Cowboys. We talk about everything. And so basically in, in our discussions and stuff, at a certain point, I, I wanted to test this Romans 1 concept. Is the problem that there's just not enough evidence? Why are you an atheist? Is it just not enough evidence? So I went around and asked about five or six of them. I got permission first. I just took my iPhone and I just did a periscope, a, a live interview. And um, I, I just have time to show you a little clip of one of them. This is the president of the Metroplex Atheist, Randy Word. Is the problem that you don't have enough ev evidence? Let's watch this video. Hey, this is James Walker, and I'm at the DFW Atheist Meetup. I've come here about, was invited a couple of months ago. I've come here about five or six times and have some friends here now we've been talking to. Of course, I'm coming from a Christian perspective, but I've uh, asked if I could interview a couple of these people about uh, what they believe. Just Randy. My, my friend Randy, how's it going? You heard the question already, but uh, I'll give it to you again. I wasn't listening. Okay, okay. Uh, just for our Christian friends, you know, uh, that are watching. If there was for you sufficient proof that Christianity and the Bible, uh, Old and New Testament, were true, would you then uh, be willing to worship Jesus? I've had this conversations with my evangelical wife. Uh -huh. I told her I'm kind of 
either way, because I don't believe that there is a God or I'm not even sure Jesus ever existed. And so he wasn't anything more than a mere mortal. But at any rate, uh, I've read the Bible eight times, and the God depicted and described in that Bible, Old and New Testament, I think has some real moral problems himself with the things that he caused to happen or did himself. Well, slaughtering the Israelites, slaughtering uh, all the inhabitants of Canaan, or a lot of them, including children. And the New Testament doesn't get that much better. Everlasting torture is the ultimate cruel and unusual punishment for just not believing the right way. So I couldn't accept, even if they were proven to me that God was real and Jesus was real, I still have a real problem with their behavior and have, I wouldn't be able to follow that. God and Jesus described in the Bible, even though Jesus had some good moral teachings, still the, the whole story and the everlasting torture, if you don't believe right, and all the slaughter God uh, brought about in the Old Testament, uh, no, I, I could not. That's that's not my idea of an all-loving God. Thanks so much, Randy. Appreciate it. Wow. So what I'm seeing here, and not just from Randy, from others as well, is, is the idea that it's not, it, let me just ask you, is the problem for Randy Ward that there's not enough evidence? He's already saying if he had all the evidence in the world, he still would not worship. What we're seeing, this is a volitional. This is a matter of the will, not a lack of information. And so the problem is not solved necessarily. It's a spiritual problem, not a mental or intellectual problem. Uh, verse 19 explains this, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has showed it, has shown it to them. So, if you're looking back at your outline, we see God is revealed. A to everyone. B. We suppress. We tend to want to suppress that truth, because see, God did show us. And uh, verse 20 explains how He did that. For His invisible attributes, this is God, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world. Now mark that. How we know about God one way is through natural revelation. It's through the creation of the world. We can know certain things about God. Through the creation of the world. In the things, in the things that have been made. And that's the creation. And look at this. So that they are without excuse. So, so D in your outline. One of the ways God shows us natural revelation is through creation. We, we can look at creation. Not even opening a Bible and know certain things about the Creator. We can know that from perceiving the creation. And verse 20 ends with the chilling, um, the chilling ending here, verse 20, so that they are without excuse. So, uh, two in your outline, the Bible says because of this we are responsible, we're without excuse. Now, how does God share with us, how does He show us through His creation? And there's many ways, probably six or seven major categories of ways. I just want to quickly touch on two ways God uses creation to show us he exists. One is called the, A in your outline, the cosmological argument. And it's basically, simply put, this goes like this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Now, this is the foundation of science. This is called, this is, uh, called causality. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist. Three, the universe has a cause. Now, let me say, ever since the Enlightenment, even before the Enlightenment, to very recently, uh, basically during my lifetime, most of the scientists would argue that the universe didn't begin to exist. They held to something called the steady state model. The universe has always existed. 
And uh, most of the atheists said, well, we don't need a creator because the universe isn't created. It's always been. Matter can neither be created nor destroyed. Well, that theory has really gone out the window. I know no modern cosmologist, atheist or otherwise, who believes that today. This has to do with some of the findings of Albert Einstein and his theory of relativity, verified by Edwin Hubble, the astronomer, as he noticed that the universe was expanding rapidly, and we now know that that rate of expansion is accelerating. We have background radiation to back this up as well. All the scientists now say that our universe had a point that it existed. And when it talks about the universe, they're talking about matter, energy, space, and time. All of them come to find out are interconnected. All of them began with something called the singularity, or some call it, you've heard the Big Bang. That's what they're talking about. Now, if that's true, then that means the universe had a beginning, which means everything that begins to exist has to have a cause, a sufficient cause. What is the cause? Well, maybe all the matter was, was, was compressed into the, of the entire universe was compressed into the size smaller than a BB. Well, no, you can't do that because matter is the effect. You have no matter to work with. Well, maybe over billions and trillions of years, well, well you don't have time either. Matter, energy, space, and time are the effect. It has to be something that's not matter, not energy, not space, and not time. Now, you can call it spiritual if you want, or if you prefer, you can call it immaterial. But there has to be a cause. The natural thing that many even scientists are coming to this conclusion, even atheists are beginning to, to uh, uh, rework their theories to try to deal with this problem, is um, an uncaused, sufficient cause, an uncaused personal creator exists who is immaterial, timeless, and enormously powerful. So this is the cosmological argument in a nutshell. Another argument that we can look around at our universe and be able to know things about God, his existence, would be the moral argument for the existence of God. The very fact that there is such a thing as objective good and evil proves there must be a source outside of us that is the lawgiver that establishes that. Now this is one argument the atheists actually like to turn around against us. They, they argue the opposite. Here's the atheist objection. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there so much evil in the world? So their argument takes the moral argument, reverses it on us. Well, either God is not powerful, or God is really evil, he likes evil. Why is there so much evil in the world? Now, I'll show you how this works out uh, in a colorful way with, a, with an atheist. Let me take you to the Stephen Fry, the actor, the um, a British uh, activist, uh, outspoken atheist. He was asked in an interview, television interview, what if you die and find out there is a God? What will you say to God? Let's watch this clip. Suppose what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite mm. of your protestations, suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically... That is the Odyssey, I think. I... I'd say, bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. They're wrong. Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, utter maniac. 
totally selfish. Totally. We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing, there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. Wow. Okay, so here, here's what he's doing. He's trying to say the very fact that there's evil in the universe proves that there is no God. But if you listen carefully to his argument, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but what is he really saying? He's basically saying there is no God and I'm angry at him. Did you catch that? I mean, he, he's, he's, he's visibly upset at something that doesn't even exist. I think in his heart, maybe he knows there is a God. So the, that, that uh, you know, really goes back to our question. Does evil disprove God? Why is there so much evil in the world? Or as you heard Randy Word say earlier, if um, God is so evil, he even sends people to hell just for believing the wrong things. I mean, that's an evil person that would do that. No, no I would not worship Jesus because of that. Well, let me say this. Uh, there's um, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, once said... Uh, the gates of hell are locked, but perhaps they're locked from the inside. Did you hear what Stephen Fry said when the interviewer asked him, uh, if you said that to God, do you expect God to let you in? What was his answer? No, don't you understand? I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to be with God. And I could see Stephen Fry a thousand years from now still shaking his fist in the face of God saying, no, I don't want to be in your presence, not on your terms. So we see this is a reaction to the evil in the world. So, and it also begs the question, what do you mean by evil? The very fact that you call something evil and good means that there's an, an objective moral standard. What makes something evil and something good? What do you say to that? If there is no God, by what standard are you judging this event to be objectively wrong? See, part of what makes God God is his job description. He gets to make these calls. We don't. Is God a murderer? No. God, he has a right to give life, to take it away, to resurrect it, and to usher it into eternity. So our, our argument for the existence of God, when we look around at the universe and see the good and evil that's there, then we have to say this. One, two, three in your outline. Be the moral argument. Number one, if objective moral values exist, then God exists. Two, objective moral values do exist. Three, therefore God exists exists well then why doesn't god do something about evil why doesn't he do something about it you know it's interesting when you hear that so regularly i hear that from atheists if god exists why doesn't he stop the evil why doesn't he do something about it well let me, let me ask you what evil should he get rid of which evil would you like him to eliminate well all of it uh how soon should he do that when when do you want him to actually eliminate all the evil in the world well immediately he should have done it already then I remind them, according to God's word, you and I are both evil. Do you really want him to do it right now? Or would you like him to wait a little bit? See, you have to understand that God is holy, holy, holy. But he's also very patient. 
And God is dealing with evil, but he's not dealing with it simply by destroying it or we would all be dead. He's dealing with evil by redeeming. God is, three in your outline, God is redeeming. And we already saw this in the verse, in the passage, but let's just look back at it. When Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. What he's talking about there is eternal life. He's talking about God is redeeming evil by sending his son, Jesus Christ, the good news, the gospel, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be redeemed and be in the presence of God despite the fact that we're all evil, we're all sinners. God is dealing with evil by redeeming us who are evil. And that's because he's loving and patient. A, in your outline, only God has the power to do that. Verse 16 says, to everyone who believes, uh, to the Jew first and also the Greek, So be in your outline, the gospel is offered to all people, religious, non-religious, educated, not educated. God loves people. He's offering uh, redemption. Verse 17, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So see in your outline, those who receive must receive by faith. But this problem of evil, let me tell you, of all the issues that I deal with, this is the toughest, the problem of evil. Uh, why doesn't God do something sooner? What could be the redemptive value of the evil? Um, And let me just say that why doesn't God eliminate evil is because he has a purpose behind it. And we often don't know what that purpose is. Um, The the infamous atheist Sam Harris says it this way, either God can do nothing to stop catastrophes or he doesn't care to or he does not exist. Uh, I, I do believe, however, the, the problem of evil, that God does have a solution. Now, let me say, this is not just a question for our atheist friends. I have to deal with this all the time when we're doing, uh, we have something called the Atheist Christian Book Club, and this comes up regularly in our book club discussions as well. And, uh, but let me promise you, this is not just a question for atheists. It's a question all of us will face. Because there's going to come a time in our lives... It may be in the far future, it may be in the near future. For some of us, it might be right this week. That you're going through a tremendous time of difficulty. It's a very evil time. The the worst possible report you could get from the doctor, the doctor has told you the words that you hoped you would never hear. Or maybe it was that relationship that you thought would would last forever and you found out that it was not a relationship built on the foundation you thought it was. Or maybe it's, it's, it's an illness that a loved one, it's that child, it's that grandchild. It would be okay to happen to you, but not to them. And when you're going through that very low period, the time of evil in your life, you might say, God, where are you? What did I do wrong, God? Why are you letting this happen? Or let me just be honest with you. You may even ask the question of yourself, is there a God? You know, even John the Baptist, when he was... He was the one who ushered in the ministry of the Messiah by saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the same John the Baptist, when he was in prison about to be beheaded by Herod, even John the Baptist sent his companions to ask Jesus, are you the one or do we look for another? Jesus replied, there was no greater prophet than this John the Baptist. But what we learn from John the Baptist is in these times of trouble, when we're the one about to be beheaded, hey, even the best of us are going to have these questions and doubts. There's nothing wrong with having doubts. Even John the Baptist did. What we need to know is even in the midst of our doubting, even when we're questioning, is there a God? 
we can know there is a God. And let me promise you, God is good most of the time. No, God is good all of the time. Now, we might not know the reason for the evil, but I promise you that God has a purpose for it. There is a God. God does have a solution to evil. There is a God. It may be that the problem is something that we'll never know in this life. And I can't tell you I have this solution to the problem of the evil. Uh, it's the most difficult problem that Christianity has. But I think atheists have a worse problem with it than we do. Let me just say this much. I can give you, I think, one example of how we can know how God does have a purpose for evil. If, you, if we thought this morning, what is the biggest, most evil event in the entire history of the world? What would be that one single event? And there's many to choose from. But in some ways, couldn't we point to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Here's the one that was truly innocent, right? And here it is, the creator of heaven and earth on, a, on a, um, a mission to redeem mankind. He's crucified, beaten, flogged, condemned. They pierced his hands and his feet with the nails on the cross. They lifted him up. And let me tell you, for the disciples, for his mother, for those who were follower, his followers, they didn't know what was going on, even though Jesus had prophesied it. They were, they, Peter denies him three times as this is about to happen. They're going through major doubts. How could God, they're asking the question, how could God allow this to happen to the Messiah? And maybe they're even asking deep in their heart, is there a God? And they don't know the answer. No, they don't. Not on Friday, they don't. Not on Saturday, they don't. With the crucifixion, you've got to wait till Sunday to find out why. And when you realize that there's a resurrection, and you realize that crucifixion, although it was evil, my salvation, your salvation, was based on that event, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me ask you this morning, was that the most evil event in the history of the world? Or was it the biggest blessing in the history of the world? Which would you say? In some ways, it was both. But we had to have the evil for our redemption to be possible. Now, I think that we don't know the answer to the problem of evil, but perhaps all evil works that way. That God is doing something to redeem, something in his love and in his care. Our problem is that God's playing chess and we don't know how to play checkers. And so we can't second-guess God on this. Let God be true. It's part of the job description. Let God be true and every man a liar. I want to close with giving you a challenge before we have an invitation. I want to address some of the questions I didn't have time to this morning on this problem of evil, some other issues as well that atheists are going to be throwing at, me, at, at us. So what I want to give you today is the Watchman Challenge. If you look on the bottom of your, um, of your uh, uh, outline here, it's a 10-day challenge, and I want to challenge you to do this. I want you to text the word Watchman to 74784, just like you're going to make a text. Now, you all to say, never text in church. Here's your one opportunity. I'm going to ask you, please text in church. Get your phone out. And what I'm going to ask you to do for the next 10 days to give us your undivided attention for three minutes a day. Can you give me three minutes a day? And I'm going to send you, you're going to meet Brady Blevins, our senior apologist, and he's going to send you a three-minute video every, every day for the next 10 days to answer some of the toughest questions that atheists throw at us. And you'll be prepared and equipped if you take the challenge. So if you just uh, text the word Watchman to 74784, and then you'll be prepared to do exactly that. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. 
And I know many of your hands raised at the beginning of the service that you know someone who's an atheist or an agnostic, a skeptic perhaps. Many of, others of us know people that may not call themselves atheists, but the way they live their lives, that pretty much sums up where they're coming from. That's their worldview. If you raise your hand, you know someone, and let me say this could be a coworker, students, this could be a friend at school we're talking about. For some of us, this might be a family member, right? If you raise your hand, I want to give you a chance to pray for that person by name, that God would use you and others to build a bridge of the gospel, to help them to know the truth of the gospel and, and who Jesus really is. But I also want to give an opportunity for those who may be going through your time of despair this week. This might be your time. You say, well, James, I believe in God, but let me tell you, I don't know why this is happening. Let me, let me promise you that God's there. God is there. And that God loves you more than you can imagine. And God is good all of the time. We'd love to pray for your pastors down here at the front. If you're just going through one of those periods of time, like John the Baptist did 2,000 years ago, uh, we want to pray for you. We want to stand with you. We want to encourage you. Whatever decision God may be laying on your heart to pray for others, pray for yourself. We're going to invite you to come now. If, you, if you're not certain there is a God yourself, uh, maybe right now you're thinking, I, I've just come to the conclusion that there really is a God. I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for me, that gospel you were talking about. This is your opportunity as well. Whatever decision God is placing on your heart, we need God. We need him. This might be our moment. We need him every year. We need him every month. We need him every day. And let me promise you, we need him every hour. Come now.